everyone. Welcome to another episode of 12 Million. I am Darren Jenkins. I am Akbar Majid. And on today's show, we are fortunate to have uh, Dr. Thomas Barksdale, a clinically trained practitioner specializing in trauma, grief loss, mental health, and substance use. But he's so much more than that. And we're going to get into all of that on the show today. Thank you for joining us today. Darren and Akbar, thanks for having me. It is such a pleasure. Congratulations also, men, on your work. Uh, I've been following you guys. And just congratulations for all the conversations uh, that you're doing, not only uh, in this country, but internationally. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So one of the things that, uh, you know, Darren mentioned all the other things that you are, um, an advocate, I know is something that that you you profess that you're passionate about. But the question is, where did that spirit or that calling, as one may call it, come from? Where did that come from? Right, well, that's a great question. Um, simply, probably in my formative years, um, I happened to be uh, reared in a neighborhood, man, that uh, was a village. You know, my parents, my mother could borrow an egg uh, and some sugar up the street, 10 houses up, man. Um, and so it was a community. And so um, uh, I got whoopings, man, from um, my neighbors, <laughs> parents, man. And so, you know, and so it's always been uh, in me that, you know, man, if we're together, um, um, we're family. And, and so my advocacy was birthed out of my formative years um, um, in a black and brown community um, that just was full of nurture and love. Mm. I think we all got those weapons, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and those, those the good old days, were the foundation. Right? They were the foundation right. for a lot of great things happening. That's right, man. And and those parents back then didn't apologize. I mean, they would whoop you, then send you to your parents to get another whooping. <laughs> yep. Definitely, yep. definitely, definitely. <laughs> That's funny. Great, Dave. Oh, no. So, um, you know, I was reading on uh, your bio here that, oh, actually on your LinkedIn, it says something that I thought was really kind of interesting. And it said, my passion is helping people self-discover their God-given talent, ability and purpose, which I love. I love that 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 line. Can you tell us a little bit more about like where like why? Why? Like, why, why do you like in helping people become more than they are? Probably, Darren, because, man, my, my story, man, is not traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I believe that inside of everybody, man, there are these intrinsic qualities. Uh, some people call it your purpose, why you came to the earth. Uh, consider this, friends. There is, man, 7.2 billion people grieving as we are having this conversation. And nobody is alike. So you came into the world for a reason. And uh, I happen to be blessed to find mine early um, of the human touch, Dan. I believe the human experience is, is just awesome, man. And so I've always wanted to help other people have what I call that aha moment of awareness. Blackaby calls it this, this growing awareness that my life is supposed to be set apart for something special. Uh, and so, Agbar, listen, when, when a person finds it, man, 
Uh, they walk in the ground, smiles. They speak mm -hmm. in the clap. Uh, when you find it, when you find what you're here for, uh, it's special. Um, and so whether it's athletes, Darren, or young people, um, or, or faith-based institutions, man, I just love engaging people. The world needs people like that. I think people, you know, there's a saying that, um, there's, a, there's a Mexican proverb that says, um, they tried to bury us. They didn't know we were the seeds. And <laughs> I feel That's like that good. is so accurate because a lot of times we don't know that we're the seeds of uh, we're, we're, we're essentially seeds being placed here and how we grow determines how the, the world evolves and how things transform. And, and so we, I think because of that, we need to be more invested in each other, you know, because, you know, without sometimes some plants need a little bit more help than others and some plants already know what they're supposed to be like you said some people learn their calling in life you know from like a very early age two three four years old and then some people you know it takes them a little bit longer to to kind of evolve and um um having per people like yourself um, that are around to kind of help guide and nurture um, these seeds, I think is a very important piece of the human human process. Well, Darren, you made me think, Fred, I started smiling your remarks. You made me think <laughs> of a, a, a monk, an ancient monk man that I quoted in my first book, man. He said, if, if the lettuce doesn't grow, don't, don't, blame the lettuce. It may need more sun, it may need more fertilizer, or maybe even water, but don't ever blame the lettuce. <laughs> Essentially, friend, that's what you're talking about, man. Right. Um, um, people need to be encouraged, especially coming out of what I call a dualistic uh, uh, pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. Racial and social strife and COVID-19, man, especially Agbar now, man, people need to be touched and know that right. they, they can make it, man. So, so we'll jump right in, right? So we'll jump right in, right? So um, so you talk about this this dual pandemic that, that you just mm -hmm. mentioned. Um, like you said, there's so much going on. There's so much to manage in regards to um, the racial piece, how the country, really the world is dealing with the pandemic. You know, there's so much political... Um, I'll call it foolishness has been thrown in the mix. Um, yeah. um, kind of where do you see, particularly our community, where do you see our mental health or mental stability or how are we managing all of this? Well, uh, that's that's a loaded question, friend. Um, mm -hmm. uh, well, well, let me give you just some raw numbers. One out of five adults in America struggle with mental illness per year. Um, uh, one in four college students will deal with some type of mental illness. It's relegated typically to depression and anxiety, right? And so just in normal processes, you're talking about 35 to 40% of people deal with distress or dis-ease uh, in their, their normal functioning. So when you couple that with what you just outlined in black and brown communities who are already marginalized and considered the dung of society, right. we, we have a, 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 a compounding challenge 
also associated when you think about mental illness, a lot of times, man, it's about destigmatizing what that means. A lot of people, when they get mental illness, go straight to the straitjacket and think that uh, they use the term crazy and, and all these other terms. They just need a whooping, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. When really, there could be a chemical imbalance in the brain. And so, man, our community um, 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 has some challenges, um, but I'm hopeful. And I'm hopeful because of, of brothers like you doing this type of work, because it really starts with the conversation. Hmm. Right, definitely, definitely. Yeah, uh, and that's, I think um, we we were having this conversation on another podcast, kind of, um, you know, our, our community has traditionally not been the kind, we've not had those conversations. We we have not been open to having these emotional conversations with each other. And um, that's, that's a challenge that we've hopefully in the last... 15, 20 years but start to kind of strip away a little bit. Um, That's right. There's still, there's still work to be done, obviously, because, I mean, this is something that's been in our history for thousands of years. So it's not something that's going to be solved overnight. But I think, you know, we're in a good place because I think there are like some individuals who are starting to come forward and, and sharing their stories. And I think the more people can share, the more people feel comfortable sharing, um, the easier it will be for us to kind of start to take on some of those challenges. Well, that's right. I mean, think about think about Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921, Black Street, and we still have several survivors of that massacre. Uh, yeah. Trauma. When 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 the eyewitnesses at bar said they look up and they saw government planes dropping bombs on a wealthy neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1921. Think about the the byproduct of slavery, Crow, right. and and all the other ills of our society. Certainly, Breonna Taylor, the George images. Friends, the, those images are horrible. Man, I saw that in my own house, man. We, right. I, my wife and I had to decide no more national uh, news in the background while we're eating dinner. Uh, so mm. I didn't see those images. Right. <laughs> but here's the thing about uh, black and brown people. We've always had to deal with this. Right. right. We've all climbed up out of it. Um and, and so I would assume the three of us would agree, friends, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> Resiliency. Right. If right. there wasn't some strength uh, to help the ancestors to help us. Right. So like you mentioned, there's, there's a lot, right? I mean, there's, there's it's layered, right? It's, it's generational. It's That's layered. Right. So the question becomes, how do we begin to, you know, unravel or begin to... You know to really treat this this trauma, right? You know, so the question always: Where do you start, right? Um, you know, in every new generation, they get this inspiration. I think their energy's in the right direction, but it's almost like, where do you start, right? But from a mental health perspective, where do you think we can begin to take small steps to to kind of unravel and deal with this trauma? 
That's a good question. Maxwell talks about everyone has this circle of influence. And so I encourage adults and, and anyone, young people and also who are concerned about this topic is to look around your circle of influence and start with Bar. Because of social media act bar, mm -hmm. we, we just assume that we have to be on this national stage when really you heard the term pol all politics is local. Well, guess <laughs> all mental health is local. You start yeah. where you are. Right. The people that you can contact and that you influence daily, check in with people. Ask them how they're doing and genuine concern. Um, uh, Benet Brown talks about this, this power of connection, that the human experience, people need connection. And when you feel isolated, when you feel alone, I think about that's what DeRozan said from the Spurs. That's what Kevin Love said, uh, the NBA guy. Um, uh, um, the young lady, the tennis pro, uh, Naomi Osaka. I mean, right. people are dealing with this stuff. And so I, well, I tell people, start local. Start where you are, man. Connecting with people and checking in with them. And watch this. It's okay not to be okay. Right. It's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Do you think, you know, because I'm always kind of like of two different minds, like when it comes to social media, like I think social media has a great potential, but I also believe that it also desensitizes us a bit to, and so when you're dealing with the subjects like depression and suicide and those things, um, I feel like the mass the mass audience kind of desensitizes people around them to what like you said what's going on locally like on an individual basis so do you think that like i mean because i could see a place where social media could actually be a, a help for dealing with social with those type subjects but i think until people get educated on how to use the platform in that manner it, it we are always kind of on like this little bit of a balancing act of how how to use social media and how to how we how we use it in such to kind of communicate healing towards a group of people versus an individual basis well, what what has happened, I, I told man, because what social media has done, it has allowed everyone to be an expert in everything, <laughs> which is not necessarily yeah. true, right? Yeah. No, absolutely so, not true. Akbar, <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard you. I heard you. <laughs> yeah, and so social media in itself is not bad. It's how people use the platform to communicate. And what happens is there's this whole notion of social comparison theory. Yeah. Uh, Darren, I'm not who I am uh, because of my own accord. I'm who I am based on how I think you're doing, right? right. And that, that social comparison in social media can disturb many of us. That, that's why man, I, I love athletes, man, because athletes have this propensity to be able to put themselves on the line each and every day from elementary school to pro professional athletes, man. But yeah, yeah, when it's time to talk to the media, a lot of athletes don't like to talk to the media. You want to know why? Because, man, can you imagine every part of your life is scrutinized right. and looked upon and, and criticized? And so that happens in social media. But what I tell people is this really 
not the platform, it's how people use the platform. And remember, mental illness is distress or dis-ease from everyday work, uh, uh, life balance, family balance, social activities. There's there's this stress. Um, the new terminology, the literature is talking about trauma-informed care. Now catch this, guys, because I want your audience to really understand this. When you have trauma-informed care approach to life and mental health, you never say to Agbar, man, what's wrong with you? Mm. Trauma-informed approach says, Agbar, what happened to you? Right, right. And so, Darren, to, to help our community, people must be okay with going back to their childhood and what they saw and what they experienced. You know, Darren, every family has childhood secrets. Right. Yeah. Secrets that nobody talk about. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You never know how people are doing, right? And that's why I always, I always treat people to like, you know, I never assume just because they were on Facebook posting pictures of them eating cheesecake, you know, riding a, riding a horse, that everything is just great because that's, that's right, just man. a facade. I mean, that's, that's right. That's just a facade. And, and, and we get caught up in like these illusions of, of what life looks like versus what things really are. And I, I think if people just remember that, just because they seem okay doesn't mean they are okay, and and to be careful of what term. I think you know, like that phrase of "What's wrong with you?" I think is like one of the most hurtful things you can say to a person because you immediately are accusing them of something that they did. Because it uses the word "wrong" in that sentence. There's nothing wrong about feeling depressed or feeling bad or a thing. It's more about what their experience is versus what they did to cause what they feel. That's exactly right. And and that's what Akbar was alluding to about our community. We have to really debunk what it means about this whole notion of wellness and well-being. Right. And and just because somebody may have anxiety or maybe diagnosed with bipolar. It does not mean that they are a bad person. Uh, in a lot of my um, 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 high school and middle school work, I talk to teachers about, let's try not to criticize students. Let's, let's, let's bring attention to the behavior. Mm. Let's not criticize the actual person, but the behavior. Right. Yeah. Mm. So I guess, so I mean, we're going, this time is so interesting in the sense of, I think Darren kind of talked about a little bit about social media, technology. Um, I mean, we could go farther, so like the algorithms kind of push so much on us, right? And how do you feel the, and a lot of this is, you know, impacting our youth, Right in the young, because this is this is the mechanism in which you know they're processing and they're, they're learning. You know, I, I know I could remember when I didn't have a cell phone. Right, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you finally get to that age where you start remembering what you didn't have, and then, <laughs> and then you say, "Oh, that's what my, my mom and pops was talking about back in the day." Right. So, oh, right. I didn't have cable. Right. Like, oh, wow. So it's 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 this information that's been that is 
bombarding them. Um, you know, and I know your first book was was called "It's All About You: mm-hmm. A Young Adult's Guide to Positive Living." Kind of, how would you kind of take that approach dealing with today's technology when it comes to to, to the youth and, and us managing working with them and and kind of helping them process, helping us all process through all of that. Well, uh, Akbar, you think about this. As you were asking that question, it's our new normal. And so we embrace our new normal. Um, You and I, the three of us can probably still remember, though we might have been kids, when you could smoke on airplanes. Yeah. Remember when uh, you could sit in in the front seat without seat belts. (laughs) Yeah. Right? And that long one bucket seat. And so so it's our new normal. And so... What we have to do is embrace where we are. Most people have this, this, this foggy sense um, that they're not where they are, right? And so technology, it can be an asset for young people. But man, that's all they know. That's that born into this phenomenon. And so we embrace it by, by helping young people navigate the space in healthy ways. You know, Apple, we have cyberbullying, man. We have uh, uh, TikTok challenges that, that can lead to some young people dying, man. And so uh, parents, uh, villages, you know, that, that village of, of, of surrounding young people is all crucial this technology phase because one thing that these young people have that we didn't by the touch of a fingerprint they have access to the world mm. but guess what man they're still kids right they haven't fully developed yet right and so we have to embrace it and not um, um, um use it as a a trigger some social media for some young people can be triggering oh definitely yeah. And so and so we embrace it. We but we teach um, this conversation again that we're having. Friends, when's the last time, guys? Well, it's been a year or so, but just think about the pandemic. you go to a restaurant and just just sit and you probably experienced this, guys, where you look at a couple and both of them are talking on or texting on their phone. They're not having interaction with each other. Mm-hmm. Nope. You see what I'm saying? So this connection, we we have lost the connection and young people like everyone else values that and needs that. You know, that makes me remember, I don't know if you guys had one, but when I was a kid, I had a big wheel and, uh, (laughs) you know, big wheels are dope, right? I mean, you know, you wanted one, you you had one, you're riding around the street. Now, as simple as that little that toy that this this thing was, you had to learn where you could ride it, where you couldn't ride it, how you know all you know you weren't big wheel in the middle of the street. You know you weren't doing that. You knew how to your your parents taught you <laughs> the correct places where they expect you to be with that big wheel, and and that's what it was. Right now we've upped the ante. That big wheel is now. A laptop, cell phone, a tablet, you know, and the same rules still apply. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to engage with your kids and, and understand and teach them like how to use those those things because those those things are far more dangerous than any big wheel will ever be, and and they're easier 
easier access. Everything is so easy now. So I think it's just, you know, parents have to take an active role in at least guiding their kids through the right conversations and the right questions to ask about the things that they're engaging in. Because, I mean, you know. See, Darren, you're messing with me now, man. I was trying to be good, man. Now, why are you doing this to me? See, see, Darren, now you done tapped into some others. Because what you're talking about is the phenomenon of these social constructs. Mm. Think about this. When, when you're fighting for your daily bread, when you are trying to just make ends meet, you don't know how to delay gratification. Right. Just in black and brown communities, it's in every community. It's just yep. publicized more in our communities. Right. And so if parents are out there um, uh, working and their kids come home from school by themselves, these conversations are not happening, which goes back generational uh, uh, challenges. So for example, there are not more black people on drugs in America. Right. There are not more black people than any other group of people um, in America on in poverty. Those, those are social constructs that are that are formulated like race was constructed to marginalize different people. And so, Darren, to your point, these conversations aren't happening, uh, man. People are are trying to survive. Mm. And, do that in that narrative. Let me just make it today, and that we have to change. Mm, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, if you're just joining us, you're listening to 12 Million. My name is Alcor Majee. My co host is Darren Jenkins, and today we are joined by Dr. Thomas Barksdale. Pleasure that you are here with us. So, Dr. Barksdale, you're your book that you recently just released or dropped, as we say in the in the entertainment <laughs> community, is Minister of Mentor. Um, so tell us a little bit about that book, but also why you think mentoring is so important. Well, Agbar, great question, man. I am a product of mentoring relationships. Um, I, uh, my, again, go back to my formative years, and there were key people um, um, that were instrumental in my, uh, my value system. And so mentoring uh, is really a way for me to give back, man. Um, a gentleman walked in uh, to my high school, happened to be a white male in my 99% uh, Black-dominated high school, and said, I want to give a college scholarship to two young men who just need a shot. Mm-hmm. Principal picked me as one of those students, um, you know. And so, man, um, you may have heard of uh, Dudley Products, the African American hair product um, company. Um, he's from the same area I'm from. He, uh, his company, gave me a college scholarship. Man, I've always been around older people who decided to pour into me. And so, uh, this book came out of uh, my research. Uh, in my dissertation, man, in my graduate studies. And so uh, mentoring is valuable. And then, of course, when you add a, a faith tradition to that, I just wanted to start a conversation about how do we decide to go back there and touch somebody younger than us that just simply, man, needs a shot? Mm. 
And that's what this book was birthed out of. And that's a lot of, you know, I can remember, you know, being in, you know, maybe in like eighth grade or so. And, you know, I don't recall a great deal of, you know, what we'd call like alumni coming back to the school to kind of pay it forward. And I'm a big pay it forward guy. I'm like, I love that experience because I think that is the only, like, you know, when you climb up that ladder, you got to reach back down to help the next guy below you. Oh, that's right, man. The, um, I think you, you know, if you started in the schools, uh, in, in the young level, just, just because, you know, I remember having this conversation full, like in the front of a big room full of kids who were there to learn about entertainment. And um, it, it was, what amazed me was that they didn't have any exposure to like the, like just basic things that they wanted to ask questions about because when you're you know you're that young you're still trying to figure out you know what do you want to do like high school is right there i mean it's coming and you know that the ante gets raised in high school and it's a little bit of pressure for you to decide start to deciding what you want to do once you get out of high school starts to build but how do you make those decisions how do you come to to decide on who you want to be or what you want to be if you don't have what I would role models and mentors and people to kind of help feed your knowledge, feed your passion, you know, and, and, and obviously it'd be nice if they could help you with, you know, some kind of advisorship or some mentorship to kind of guide you through the next four years of your, of the most important years to me, which is high school. Um, especially if you're an athlete. I mean, if you're an athlete in high school, forget it. That's, this is where NBA players, NFL players, MLS players get made. I mean, that's, you know, and with, without mentors, I don't know how many great players would probably be great players right now. Well, Darren, listen, the late Kobe Bryant said it, friend. He 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 modeled his game after Jordan. Right. Any successful person will tell you in any industry, I would contend that they had a mentor. They had uh, because what mentoring does, it allows you to shape the world in images that you can understand. That's what mentorship does, okay? And so when you talk about athletes, for example, man, uh, um, um, you think about um, what's happening with the Olympic trials currently. Young sisters and brothers, man, are performing on on that track. Well, you can't help but to think about Carl Lewis and and, uh, Flojo. You can't help but to think about Jackie Joyner Kersey. Um, um, and and uh, Jesse Owens. So mentorship gives us images to shape our world, to help us understand all oh, that. If I can see somebody else do it, right. uh, I can too. That's the power of mentoring. Mm. I yeah. wish I had had mentors back. Like I, as an athlete, I didn't have like my men- mentors. Technically speaking, was my brother because my brother was a track runner as well and mm-hmm. and and stuff. But even then, it wasn't 
it wasn't uh it was different it was kind of like it's different i don't know how to explain like the difference between like having someone in your family who is in that industry in that industry or that or that af or in that sport versus say you know if i'm a skater or something and tony hawk comes to my house says hey i heard about you and would love to you know just i feel like one when when someone um shows like interest in what you're doing it just it just supercharges your that's right. your 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 passion to, to because you almost feel like you don't want to let them down that's right and you're like <laughs> That's good. Let me ask you guys, do you remember the movie Glory with Denzel and Morgan Freeman? Definitely. One of my favorite movies, yes. One of your, okay, see, I didn't know that about you, right? So look at this. Do you remember that, that image where Denzel got caught running and they brought him back and they whipped him? Right. You know, yep. and he, the teardrop, you know. Uh, uh, the, the sisters definitely remember that image, you know, <laughs> Denzel, right? Well, yeah. in slavery times, that, that, that scene is really called the learning tree. Mm -hmm. The slave master taught, particularly the black male, that if you run, there are consequences. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you back to the plantation once I catch you, and I'm going to beat you and whip you in front of everybody else to teach Darren and Akbar that they better not run. Hmm. Here's the deal. We have to flip that narrative. Right. And we have to teach our young people and our adults that it's okay to run. It's a <laughs> dream. The law was instituted to keep us docile and sullen. We have to flip that, and mentoring teaches you to run, right. excel, to launch your business or businesses, to go to school. So, so African American and people of color are always trying to flip or debunk the narratives that have been institutionalized in us. Right. Mentoring allows that, those guiding principles, Darren, that you're talking about, man. We have to teach our young people, you have to go for it. Right. Uh, this week, watching the Olympic trials, man, every one of those athletes, they, they always interview them right after they run. You know, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I bought every athlete who won said, I had some trauma. I had some, some tough stuff going on. But man, I did this for me and my family. Right. I, I overcame injury, setback um, for me and my family. Uh, I call it running for a different reason. And that's what we have to teach our community, man. There's some historical reasons why we must do well. And that's what I try to outline in the book. Right. Mm. So if I'm hearing you correctly, when you when you say the word mentor and mentoring, you're not necessarily being literal. You're, you're kind of being theoretical because everything we do is a form of mentoring. Being a role model is a form of mentoring. Setting that's a good example. Lee, that's that Ivy League education coming in. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Let's be real. I got this from where? That Go North ahead. Carolina A&T education, right? Oh, okay. That's, that's what <laughs> and, and we'll talk a little bit 
And you didn't go back and talk about where you came from, where Dudley Products is, right? Greensboro, North Carolina, right? That's right. <laughs> exactly. Right? Where, that, where that HBCU is, right? It's no only one that I know of, my friend. It's only one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Which is also showing themselves at the Olympic trials. But, oh, you know, man. We, we, won't get, we, we won't get distracted, right? That's another podcast, man. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> But, but but back to back to your concept of mentoring, right? It, yeah. It's it's you know from what I'm hearing is everybody can be a mentor to someone by being you know conscious of how one's behaves, how one's interacts mm. with other people, um, and you know there's a, there's a, a a saying, but you know one that I've adopted is we have to be better and do better. That's right. right. And I That's and right. I think that in itself is mentoring because people are always looking at you, right? right. And I, and I think if you put out positive energy, um That's right. you're receptive, um, I think everyone can be a mentor. I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah. And remember, Agmar, just just to uh, throw a historical lens, mentoring, we first see that word in Greek mythology where hmm. Um, um, uh, this 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 war this 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 soldier had to go uh, and fight a war, and he left his son to be cared for uh, with a trusted friend named Mentor. Mm-hmm. So this term comes from this 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 term in Greek mythology about trusted care. Mm-hmm. Mentoring, Darren, you have a mentor, you are in trusted care. Now think about that when you talk about mental illness. Think about that when you talk about well-being. Uh, Darren, even, even I was watching you as you reflected, you said, friend, I wish I would have had a mentor in my formative years. Mm. That power of that statement, friend. And there are millions of young people, and I would dare say more adults, who wish they had trusted care. Um, yeah. I, I tell it like this um, in my, in my uh, educator training on the university level. Most students don't want your solutions. They simply want you to hear their questions. Mm-hmm. Think about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's true. Cause like you think about it from a kid's standpoint, right? Um, there are a lot of intelligent young men and women who, who they, they, they know a lot of stuff, right? They, they, they read, they, they, they do well in school, but sometimes, and I think this goes back to something you said earlier where, Sometimes, you know, they need a visual representation That's right. to fill in the blanks of what they are missing from the knowledge that they've gathered on their own. And sometimes they also need, and so I, I think that's why it's important for athletes like Naomi Osaka, LeBron, Kobe. It's important for us to see these examples because it's the only way, like outside of them being in the same room with Kobe or with Naomi, it's the only way for them to understand the, you know, like 
for them to get that information. You know, unless, of course, they get an actual one-on-one physical experience with a mentor who can, like you said, answer their questions. Damn it. I mean, think about it, man. That, that's so true, man. I mean, think about athletes have to be on. They're made, society's made to make them feel like they have to be on, man, 24-7. Mm. Who can be on 24-7? Right. In my, in my experience working with professional athletes, man, uh, the athlete, they're givers. Uh, they give back to their community, man. Uh, they care, but they're also very human. Think about right. helps. I think you guys, if I get the, the number of gold medals wrong, forgive me, I think 22 gold medals or something. <laughs> something, like right? That. Definitely up there, right? Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the most decorated Olympian. And guess what? A couple of years ago, Man, he said, listen, I was contemplating, should I even be here? Just right. the pressure, man, of being on. And he said it wasn't until I sat down and talked to a therapist where I developed, Darren, the skills to be okay. Right. Um, 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 think about um, uh, Lance Armstrong. Right. Uh, uh, coming down with testicular cancer and and still trying to perform at that highest level, man. Um, I, I tell I tell people, Darren, there are two groups of people that I just think are absolutely phenomenal. That is male and female athletes and male and female members of the military, man. Mm. People have this incredible edge to know how to put themselves on the line and push themselves uh, to their own greatness. I think we can learn a lot from these two groups of people. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, they don't hear it enough, probably. I think it, it go, we've gone around circle in the sense that social media kind of strips away some of their defense mechanisms they have. And so they don't get, you know, they feel defensive about sharing a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I totally understand it because right. you, I mean, there's, I'm, you know, not to step off the cliff, but I, I'm reading all this stuff with KD and Michael Jordan, all this other comparison stuff, and I'm like, I'm sorry, can we stop for a second and just remember who, what we're talking about here? We're talking about a, a dude who his job is basketball. He performs it at probably one of the highest levels of anybody right now. We don't need to compare him to anyone. He's him. He's just this dude. And let's just leave it at that and enjoy the fact that he's one of the best players and let it be just that. He shouldn't have to defend his career every single time he gets on, like, out of the game. Darren, that is such an exceptional comment. Uh, If I was talking to KD, I would say to that brother, man, congratulations, man. You're conference a couple of years ago moved me man when you said mama he busted out in tears i'm mm. doing this for you now you can go get that home that you always wanted why don't right. we celebrate that the brother bought his mama house right um, right um we, uh, guys listen i'm gonna I'm ask you guys a question right the Agbar in at seven i was awarded the defensive player of the year in recreation football Mm. All right. Oh, man. They walked me up there, called my name, got this trophy, man. I felt big. Then something happened. The lady 
the rec center director, Darren, announced the next trophy and gave the defensive player a year award to the next guy, my teammate. Darren, everybody got a trophy. (laughs) Here's my question, friends. Should NFL there are 32 teams. 31 are not gonna win every year. Right. Are they bad? Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, some of them are. Wait a minute. As a team, yes. It, 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 but I, I know your point, right? As individuals, no. These are still no. the best right. at what they do. That's in right, the man. world, right? That's so right. I, in the I, world, in the world, right? So I think it's about it's about context. It's about how you you verbalize, how you articulate. You know, words matter, and, and, right. and the words that we have to begin to use, I think we have to process and, and be a little bit more deliberate and being positive and keeping things in context. So I understand what you're saying, right? So well, right. you know what I go to though, because the men, and you know, this is probably getting a little bit too highbrow. Maybe I don't know, but I was listening to a podcast from ESPN a couple like years ago, and they said something that I hadn't thought about until that moment, and now it just permeates every time I watch something. Because people used to be back in the '60s and '70s and even the '80s, people were fans of the teams. Now people are fans of players, and so they personalize the losses so much more than they have. Because you know, in 1975, if you know a football team wins a Super Bowl, you just thought, okay, yeah, they won the Super Bowl. And that's all you thought. You didn't go, oh, those other 29 teams are the worst teams ever. You know, we only worried about this team won. Let's let's rewind it and start all over again next year. But now it's just so much because people are fans of the the individual players that when people like they're doing it with KD now, when they personalize the loss, they personalize it in such a way that now – if you didn't win it, you you're the worst player on the planet, and you're not as good as this dude. And you, I, now, Darren, at, look now, right. listen, as a therapist, we call that projection, right? right. <laughs> because you're, you're projecting something on other people. Man, think about Westbrook, um, young brother, uh, the brilliant brother from uh, Atlanta right now, Beast and Trey Young, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. Leaving one game and somebody threw popcorn on him. Uh, yeah. Young was was about to inbound the, the ball or something. And spit on him. He spit on him. I mean, how else is a grown man supposed to react? See, right. you're so right, Darren, man. People have personalized, but really, um, um, uh, it's projection. And we're mm. athletes to stay in this box and conform to my narrative of how you're supposed to be. Uh, but man, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a athletic, uh, athlete advocate. And think about, uh, Akbar, what you would do today if somebody spit on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you told me to think about it, not speak about it. So. <laughs> Understood. The girl, man, the, the, the brilliant uh, tennis player, she said, listen, I'm not playing this week. 
I'm concentrating on my mental health. Right. So now everybody's diving into commentary where the sister said, I just want to make sure I'm okay. Right. And, you know, and I think that goes into kind of some of the things we touched upon earlier in regards of how media is being used. Right. right. And, and, and we're in this space of 24 8. You know, it's almost like 24-8 media, you know, and and how do we recycle a story? How we retell a story? How do Mm -hmm. I get clickbait on the story? So you have to begin to, you know, sell negatives, right? And sell negative... That's good, Akbar. Negative, you know, quotes, negative headlines to get people to click on that, right? And it's the same story, right? We just watch the game. Right, you know, That's but now, right. now we click and we watch people's opinions about the game for the next to the next game, right? And then I think they've used particularly black athletes, right, as this clickbait uh, comparison. You know, he's a bum. You know, let's just talk about how much money he's making or she's making as as relates to the performance from last night, right? Um, right. And, and I think we have to begin to manage, you know, the understanding of what we're watching and consuming is not to fall into that, right? And, and, and so that's one of the reasons why we created this podcast, right? Is to, to have positive stories to talk about different people, the different excellence that, that are occurring in our community. That's right. Um, you know, we loved what our black athletes are doing, but you know, they're not responsible for everything in our community. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, are we going to solve the world's problems, right? When, when nobody's asking the the pro athlete, how's your family doing? Right. Right. Are, are exactly. your kids okay? Right. Um, right. That, that's another thing, by the way. My, there, in my experience with pro athletes, man, you know what they confide in me and tell me in general is is the is the pressure that their kids, man, are under. Right. Yeah. Even yeah. people, fans' kids project stuff on the athletes' kids. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's just a whole slew of things that bought that you're talking about, man. When really, really, if I'm comfortable with me and I'm okay with me, I can watch a game and interact with an athlete and it actually be just what it is, entertainment. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. Where, where were you guys, where were you when you learned wrestling wasn't real? Wasn't it just heartbreaking? <laughs> wasn't it yeah, traumatic? Yeah, I remember that. That was, I was young, but... Yeah, I was young. I was, you know, I was probably... 13, 14 years old. And, yeah. and you're like, this ain't real. And you're like, eh, okay. You know, and then right. you just move on with life, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. And so that that's kind of how, man, when the, when the athlete gets off the court or the stage, they actually just want to go home and be normal. Right. right. They really do. They literally just want to be normal. I wonder, yeah. I always think about like, what would have happened if, you know, if we had social media in the 60s with, with Ali. Oh, wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I'm like, you know, that was, I mean, he was just a, like a bigger than life individual. So for him to have had that, you know, that 
I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, I, I'm always struck by that because, you know, there are very few athletes today that can kind of compare in his um, social influence. Um, you know, maybe. You know what I mean? So he definitely was a unicorn in right. regards to, you know, his greatness on and off. off out of the, the ring, right? And I, right. and I think there's an extra, you know, pressure on athletes to live up to that, right? Right. And that's you why it starts early, friend. Elementary. No, it starts early. Right. Yeah. Definitely, <laughs> definitely, right? You know, and I, you know, I'm under the, you know, the thought of if that's not your your space, then don't walk in it, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you could, there's there's other professionals and experts that you can reach out to that, that you can partner with to help fill in those gaps, right? It goes, back, right. And goes back to mentorship, right? right. And, and not taking it all on yourself, right? But I think on the flip side, you know, we as a community have to step up and be more proactive, right? Mm-hmm. In, in the sense of filling in those gaps when it comes to mental health, when it comes to talking about mental health, right? That's right. Um, I applaud the athletes that are speaking up, but where are the black professionals that are speaking up as well? Not just because you get, you get likes on Facebook, right? You, or, or Instagram, um, but because you actually want to do the work, you're in the community doing the work, um, and you're mentoring and advocating for for these athletes, but also our, our young people throughout this country who need it. Right. That's right, man. That's right, man. Because because it's it's I love the terminology you said. The work, uh, mentorship, and wellness and mental health is getting in the muck and mire of the foxhole with other people. And I do think it's a calling. I do think it's a spiritual gift. That, mm that you want to, um, there is this African spider, Darren, that once she lays, forgive me, I don't know the actual term, the name of this spider, but there's this African spider who, once she um, um, gives birth to her, her babies, she then lays on top of them. And her kids, her baby's first meal is their mother. Mm-hmm. And so, so she's sacrificial. Mm-hmm. See, guys, we're living in a context now where people who have, and I'm not just talking about money, right. influence, power, connection, people who have, I'm talking to two brothers who have, mm-hmm. we must be sacrificial and allow people to glean from us, like that African Spider-Man. She accepted mm. her call. I'm going to give birth to something, and then I'm going to sacrifice. Friends, I, what, what else are we here for? Right. right. Well, I'll, I'll put the, this out there. Can, can, can mentors have mentors? Right. So that's 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 the thing, right? So it can't be just this mentorship, you know, that starts in the middle and works its way down. It has to be as far as you can get up at high and work its way down as well, because even LeBron needs help. And even even 
all these these massive stars need help. And oh, that's right. You know, so. And guess what, friend? They, they're asking Darren for help. Right. Yeah, man, again, man, who lives 24-7 with the lights on? Right. Man, right. I, and some of my interactions with athletes, hey, Thomas, man, Dr. B, man, I just want to sit with my wife and kids at a restaurant and get a meal without having to sign autographs. Well, right. man, I don't want to be interrupted <laughs> in the restaurant. Right. So then you want to sign and, and disturb what was, and, and so then, you know, Akbar, to your point, the, 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 the fan will take a picture and post that KD didn't sign an autograph, but they didn't right. say that the man was having. <laughs> right, man. They keep it man. Right, right. Exactly. And so you get a constant barrage of that, man, you will get distressed. And, right. and mental illness does come to play. It doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter your race, where you come from. Any distress can lead to a serious, serious challenge. And friends, we have to talk about it. We we have to do more of these to get the word out that it's okay to talk to somebody. Right. So what role do you feel Black institutions need to play in, in, in being more proactive in not only mentorship, but dealing with mental health, you know, kind of building up the, you know, our communities, uh, kind of what roles? Well, that's a great question, man. We, we need think tanks. We need consortiums, man. We need, we need whole degree programs associated with, with leading Black folk experts Black and brown experts, man, leading these conversations at the table, man. Listen, um, um, we talk about climate change. All the experts say, if we don't do something quick, mm. we will see something. Glaciers are melting as we speak, right? They're sounding right. long. Well, Akbar, yeah. your question, friend, is such a powerful question because what you're doing is sounding the alarm. And I think your question was strategic because you understand there are only two um, places of black consciousness and thought historically has been our faith-based communities, our churches and mosques, and our higher institutions, our HBCUs. So right. those entities play a crucial part, man, in setting up uh, our resources and connections, Darren, so our, because it's, it's, it's called cultural competence. Right. My trauma is not like my white counterpart's trauma. Okay. What I have to tell my son about if the police comes behind you is very different conversation. And so so we have to establish those entities in the places that have always given us historical relevance, Akbar, and that is our HBCUs. They pay a pivotal part uh, in that, but we need funding to do it. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And a pro proactive administration who's willing to take that next step. So it's it's, it's a both and, right? So it's well, not either or. It's a both and. That, that's right, man. Because guess what? Uh, unfortunately, Virginia Tech is proactive now. Right. Uh, all these school shootings. See, if you do not, if you do not take those steps that you're talking about, we will see this again. Right. Mm. You want to be more proactive than reactionary. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's, uh, you know, in this day and age, I mean, 
we're seeing we're seeing too much reactive instead of enough proactive and that's, that's right. you know it's that's sad that people have to learn a lesson before it gets them to a place where they go oh we should have been doing this I'm like yeah. but then remember now friend historically that's intentional because yeah. because a lot of people in America man economics means everything right right when when bad things happen, there is a group of people who do very well. Mm-hmm. Tragedy right. happens in America. So right. this reactionary narrative, Darren, that you're talking about is actually intentional. Yeah. We have not decided yet that it wants everybody well. Right. Yeah. They're still right. trying to figure out how they can make money off everyone doing good. That's right. And the pain of people, the suffering of people... Right? How do you how do you institutionalize a group of people for years, and then you marginally include them, but then blame them for their exclusion? Right? <laughs> right. That that's mental illness in the in the first day. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, and so there's a lot of work. And, to and, do. and then we spend time trying to convince them that they did what they did. Right. Which is another yeah. level of you know, mental illness, <laughs> a.k.a. insanity, right? But <laughs> Well, that's good. Unfortunately, sad, but good. <laughs> Friends, there's a lot to talk about, man. Oh, I, definitely, I definitely. Yeah. Right. So, you know, as, as you know, um, this is 12 Million, which was inspired by the book 12 Million Black Voices by Richard White. And one of the things that we always ask our guests is, you know, is there a book that, you know, that you've read, that inspired you, um, and that you recommend, or that you're currently reading, that you recommend to to us and our our, our listeners. Uh, well, there's several, man. Um, the first one I can think of, man. I'm a huge Deion Sanders fan, man. Hmm. Uh, this is a transformational figure, man. Uh, what he's doing now at Jackson State, man, highlighting that HBCU and getting in the trenches. With those young men is phenomenal, man. Back in the day, he wrote a book called, man, Power, Money, and Sex, How Success Always Ruined My Life. Mm. Um, he, he was in the forefront of talking about this wellness and this mental aptitude, man, of athletes, man. And he was very transparent that what was happening, uh, man, almost killed him, Um and then, uh, so uh, Money, Power, and Sex, How Success Almost Ruined My Life by Deion Sanders is a powerful piece. And then, man, i tell you a book that just made me cry, guys. And that's Lance Armstrong's book, It's Not About the Bike. Um, mm-hmm. I sat in tears, man, listening to this brother's story, man. Um, think about that, that, that title, It's Not About the Bike. Right. right. He's known for cycling. Right. So he's telling the reader already, Akbar, that I'm much more uh, than what I do. Mm-hmm. And those two books have uh, given me, man, and I am so hopeful, man. I, 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 my work with professional athletes, man, it's just, it's just, um, it's just life giving. Mm. The two books I would recommend. Mm-hmm. I you need to, may need to check them both. Dion, I, I definitely want to check out the Dion one because I. I imagine, because at the height of his power, you know, he was about as influential as you get, like as a professional athlete. 
I mean, he was coming out of the University of Miami, and he he went to Dallas, and, and those are the two like you talk about brands. Well, Florida State, Florida State. Yeah, Florida State. Sorry, Florida State. But they're um, both right there. <laughs> but still, yeah. I mean, right, right. I mean, Florida was crushing, like you know, for athletes coming into the NFL, right. and. That's right. You don't you don't get any brand stronger than those guys, and to have that kind of influence, it must have been intoxicating. Some of the stuff that he had, you know, he, opportunities and things that were being thrown at him, and 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 it, you know, I think his generation was kind of probably like one of the last generation of NFL players that lived under the unfortunate situation of coming into an uh, all this money with not a lot of checks and balances in place for mentorship. Right. Yeah, mentorship. Look, David, listen, man, in his book, he talks about, man, this, him and his roommate came up with this idea of prime time. In mm. the right? What's, and, and, and trying to make it, you know, he, he knew he needed to do something because his goal was to get in the NFL. What's the right. difference between that and then a brother in the next generation, Tupac, who said, I hit the studio, drop a jewel, hoping it pays. Mm. This this consciousness of Black men trying to make it. Right. Two different figures, transformative figures with the same message. Right. That was so phenomenal, Darren. If, man, if, if, if me and you who don't know each other will just sit down and talk, we recognize, man, we really have some of the same passions. Right. And that's what connection does. Truly, man, Dion, uh, and, and look at it, man, he didn't have to go to Jackson State. And guess what's happening? Yep. George now is, is coaching on at an HBCU. Um, um, I think a Gary Payton, I think, or somebody. Yeah, Gary Payton, yeah. It's, man, so it's spreading. It's spreading. And, and um, uh, what was the uh, player that ended up going to, he was like one of the top uh, high school players, um, Maker. Maker, went, McCoy Maker went to Howard, yep. Yeah, I'm Howard. like, you know, I, I, I'm like, that's, I hope that continues that trend. I hope we see a lot more of these top players come out of high school and go to the HBCUs. I think it and, will, Dan. You know, because I think that is fantastic. Yeah, I think it will. I think. It I mean, will. you know, I don't know if Howard's going to win a, in, you know, a national championship, but they should have the ability. They should be in. They should have the opportunity, same opportunities as any of these other schools, to do so. Right. You know That's what I mean. Right. Well, I have to put this plug in as we close. A lot of people across this country who are non-black are paying attention to North Carolina A&T's track mm. male and female. Yeah, I saw my yes. eyes open. You <laughs> definitely have to put them and invite them for a seat at the table because it's earned. Right. Yep. And that's all people of color have ever right. asked for. Right. Don't move the goalposts. Just let me compete. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Well, this was this was uh, this was a great conversation. Definitely. Definitely.
And there's so much more we could we could talk yeah, about. Yeah, well, we, <laughs> we'll we have came to up with bring you three back. other pep episodes or, or three or three podcasts in this <laughs> one. Um, well, friends, listen, man. I, I, listen again. What we talk about with those athletes, if you don't mind, man, I believe in giving people their their flowers. Oh, well, definitely, guys. Hats off to you. Much success, man. Praying for you guys. Keep doing it, man. Don't stop, man. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, 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 thank you. So, where can people find you? So, social media, as we talk about social media, right? But where can people find you? Yeah, friend, I'm on LinkedIn, man, and Facebook, man. And if somebody wants to to uh, pick up one of the works, man, the books, man, I'm on Amazon, man. Just throw in my name in the search or books by Dr. Thomas Barksdale, man, and I'm there, friend. Um, um, and we just enjoy the work, man. It's 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 serious work. Um, and I issue a charge to your audiences, man. Let's let's be kind to our athletes and just general. Um, let's celebrate them um, uh, back in the AAU days on up to to our professional athletes. Let's celebrate people. Amen to that. Amen to that. And and uh, Olympics are coming up, so you got a great chance to support a lot of our athletes coming up. So. You know, take take a chance and, and take a take an opportunity and get involved and 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 and, uh, and you'll get and like you said. There's some great athletes coming up. Uh, I just saw those some of the trials, so I'm very much looking forward to that. So, damn, listen, man, you messed with me. See, that's the second time, man. You messed with me, man. I thought we were concluding. <laughs> now, man, get me off, man, because you can't help but talk about Simone Biles, man. Yeah, she, right. is, she arguably, is arguably one of the greatest athletes of all time. Of, of all time. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and watch this, friend, and, and see, Dan, this is why you mess with me. Agbar, you're totally right. And yet she did it within trauma. Correct. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. See, that's a whole nother pocket. Let, right. let <laughs> Bless you guys. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being on. Um Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, this was a great podcast. Um, you're welcome to come back whenever you'd like to come back. We, you know, we love having these conversations. This, is, this was amazing. I learned a lot today. And um, I guess that wraps it up for us for another episode of 12 Million. I am Darren Jenkins. I am Akbar Majid. And this was 12 Million. Thanks a lot, everyone. We'll see you in the next episode.